You are listening to Inspired Caring with Michelle Magner, episode number 131. Hello, welcome to Inspired Caring. I'm your host, Michelle Magner. If you are caring for an older family member, this is the podcast for you. Each week, I bring insight, tips, inspiration, and strategies to help you care for the people that you love without losing yourself along the way. Having cared for both of my grandmothers, I've helped manage everything from hospital stays, households full of belongings, to navigating senior living and end-of-life care. And I've worked in senior living as a result of that experience, serving my residents and their families as they've been on this journey too. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Inspired Caring. Well, good afternoon, Michael McGregor. Welcome to the podcast, Inspired Caring. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. One of the biggest issues that we face with our loved ones are around falls because it is um, it can have pretty catastrophic consequences. And so I'm really excited for this conversation today about how to prevent falls, and then invite you to share about what you can do to help support families so that we can hopefully get some prevention and planning in place. So if we just scale back a little bit, um, when we think about falling, do you, like, what are some of the most common causes of falls or what's happening? Why are people falling so much in their later years? Um, so I think there's a combination of risk factors that contribute to people falling. Um, some of them what we call can either modifiable or unmodifiable. So those that we can control and those that we can't control. But um, from a physical therapist perspective, uh, generally what we uh, assess and treat within my scope of practice is going to be someone's gait or their walking. Um, and looking at someone's gait speed is very important. And there's a lot of evidence to support really tracking gait speed. And as your walking speed uh, begins to decline, your risk for falls actually increases, which can lead to higher risk for um, falls as well as hospitalizations, as well as uh, mortality, actually. So gait speed um, in the physical therapy world is considered the sixth vital sign. Um, so it's very important if you do uh, look for a fall assessment that your PT does that for you. Um, other things that uh, make sense for a lot of people is strength assessment. Um, and a common one is the ability to stand up from a chair. Um, so for our older adults, um, sort of the tendency as we get older and as we can uh, get a little weak in our legs is we begin to use our arms to push up. And that's sort of a kind of a red flag um, for uh, the client or for the family to say, we maybe have some weakness here that we might need to address. So um, that's an easy one um, to sort of look for in your sort of your daily life. Um, and then also balance. And I think everyone sort of knows about balance and, and things that they can do leading to falls. But there's some other ones. Uh, medications is a really big one. So not only how many medications someone's on, but also um, the types of medications. Um, there are certain classes of medications that contribute to fall risk more than others. Really? Um, 
home hazards. Um, you know, there's a long laundry list of risk factors that we should look at. So what types of medications might people want to connect those dots with? Um, so what I would always recommend that you do, and especially in today's healthcare system where older adults are seeing multiple providers, we have this assumption, especially within your own family, that someone is kind of mining the ship, right? So mm -hmm. if you have a cardio, if you're going to a cardiologist and you're going to a primary physician or you're going to see someone related to your diabetes, that there's an assumption that someone is looking at what everyone's doing. Um, and hopefully that is happening, but in a lot of cases, it's not actually. So um, the biggest thing that I tell uh, my clients is to form a relationship with um, either their primary physician, but also their local pharmacist um, and talk to the pharmacist about the types of medications that they're on, the amount of medications that they're on and have them look at those. So there's a lot of different types on benzos, um, antipsychotics, antidepressants, uh, diuretics, just to name a few, but there's several classes um, that can contribute to fall risk. That's such a good idea. I know that one of the things in our family we experienced was when someone that we were caring for was in the hospital, the medications that they were on there would maybe follow them home or follow them yeah. back to their assisted living or nursing home, and they didn't necessarily have to continue to be on them. That's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, having that transition is very important. Um, you know, again, our system is set up where uh, everyone's sort of uh, practicing in silos. Um, so it's very important, especially now to have an advocate um, within your family or within sort of the healthcare providers that your mom or dad or were, that we're working with. Um, because just as you said, things can get missed. And um, things can get, sort of get lost in translation, especially as we transition from one setting to another setting. That's a great, that's a very kind way to put that, lost in translation. <laughs> <laughs> what about some of the environmental factors that could lead to a fall? What are some of the things that people should be looking out for? Yeah, so this is one of the major things that um, a physical therapist or an occupational therapist can actually provide you in what we call home assessment. Um, they can go in and sort of look through your house and make recommendations um, for things that we consider home hazards. Now, some of the basic ones would be if you're entering the home, um, what is the stairs or the steps look like? Is there some unlevel uh, surfaces? Is there um, sort of, again, I know when I go back to my mom's house, she's got that, sure that welcome mat that's not very sturdy and people kind of trip entering the house. Um, and then my mom also has a mat as soon as you enter the house, right, where you sort of knock off your the dirt from your shoes and that's not held down very securely either. So throw rugs in particular, um, looking at uh, way bathrooms are set up in terms of uh, modifications for the bathroom, having a shower bench, if that's something that's needed for um, your parent, looking at the height of the toilet, looking at, again, looking at sort of the, the daily walkway of your mom or dad um, and sort of just following them, what I, what I call the day in the life of them mm -hmm. um, and sort of looking at sort of way things are set up. So People sometimes think less clutter is better, and that's a general rule. Uh, but there's a lot of people that use clutter to sort of navigate their environment. Um, mm -hmm. And this is one of the most touchy subjects that I know that I experience 
with my clients. And it's always a conversation. Um, you always want the, the parent or the client to be sort of the change agent with anything that you sort of identify and address. You, you can't go in there and provide a list of things that they must do. You're not going to be successful that way. And sometimes it takes, you know, sort of developing a rapport and a relationship um, with that person um, for them to begin to sort of trust your decision making and then eliminate some of those things that they feel they can eliminate. But unfortunately, a lot of it is sentimental to a lot of people. It's been in their home for a long time. It represents so many things for them. Mm -hmm. So you need to be very conscious of what you're recommending them to, to take out or what you're bringing in um, to the home to make the home safe. But when you're looking at aging in place and you're wanting to stay home, it's very important to make sure you go through um, a home assessment and home modification to sort of eliminate some of the easy things um, that you could potentially make a change to that will not have um, that risk for falls, which would lead to what we're all trying to prevent, which is the injury um, from a fall that some people get. Which can, I know my neighbor, um, has a family member who has a lot of stitches right now because of a fall in the home. And so to your point, we really want to try and avoid those as often as possible. What? Yeah. Um, and the other thing too, is if you have a parent who's got some cognitive impairment in particular, um, there's a, there's a reason why your, your mom or dad, who's got some cognitive stuff going on can have such a good quality of life within their home because they're used to that um, that environment for the years and years that they lived there. So you have to be very aware and conscious of if you remove something that mm. was helpful for someone to sort of navigate their environment, you're potentially leading to a potential fall injury. Right. So don't just go in and clean out the joint is what we're saying. Right. 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 Now, again, I'll give you a little example. I am been a PT for 20 some years. Uh, my parents live in New Jersey. My dad has dementia. My mom has advanced COPD. It wasn't until probably the last year and a half that they actually looked at me with some sort of healthcare experience um, and started to really uh, take into account some of the things that I was suggesting. Uh, but it took me developing that report with my parents over the last couple of years and demonstrating to them and letting them sort of implement some of these things and see the results for themselves um, where they've started to make some changes. So they're not all the way there yet. They're, they're far from that, um, but we've made some changes. Well, and here you are as a physical therapist with all of this experience, all of this expertise. And I'll tell you, there are so many children that don't have that level of education. They, it just feels very obvious and clear what needs to be done. Yeah. And um, so we're just offering tread lightly, build some rapport or bring someone like you in to be that third party to help navigate this and have those conversations. Because even though in my family, it was a similar scenario where here I am in the business, in the industry, and everyone just was bumbling around in confusion. Uh, that's sort of a little rant there, but just <laughs> we got there. We got where we needed to be in our family. But also it was because I invited someone to come in and support us. That was a third party. So that's what you are doing for people. Is that correct? 
Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways that I can help people out. And again, anyone sort of local to your community can help you out is, again, you want to, again, understand who is mom and dad, if we're talking about mom and dad, who are they going to listen to? So who is their trust partner in sort of the system for them? So it could be the primary physician. Um, it could be maybe a companion um, that's been helping out the family or a neighbor, um, or it could be maybe the the older sister of the family uh, dynamics. But uh, either way, I can come in as a third party, as you suggested, and sort of do that comprehensive falls assessment. The way that I do it is I spend 60, 90 minutes in the home and we go over all these different risk factors um, that can uh, potentially prevent falls and prevent injuries. And then I'm gonna schedule a second session where I'm gonna sit down um, and have a discussion um, with uh, either the client on their own, and if they wanna invite their family in, which I always encourage, then we sort of sit down together. Um, and then we set up a third appointment, just sort of follow up on recommendations that were made, things, changes that were done, and then any questions that they may have. Um, but there's a lot of cases where mom and dad doesn't want anyone in the home at all, um, but they're willing for their family member to have a conversation with me. So we'll have some consultation, even just doing this virtually, I'll go through um, some things to consider, again, using some of the CDC tools um, in that steady toolkit, and then they can have conversations. Because again, sometimes someone's in that, what we call that pre-contemplation stage. So they're not ready yet to make a change. They're not ready yet to make take action on anything that I'm going to suggest. So again, dropping sort of the hint of this is something to think about, allowing them to research it on their own a little bit um, can be really helpful to, to take that uh, behavior change in the future. And I think what you and I will, I guess, speak for myself, but maybe you've seen this too, is that people spend a really long time in the pre-contemplation stage. And ultimately what could happen is if we spend too long in that pool, that is when we have a fall. And that is when we have an injury. And now there's a hospital stay and there's social workers involved and they're the ones that are sending in PT. So is that what your experience has been? Yeah, it is. And again, I try to, again, stay at the forefront is that the client is the change agent, right? Mm -hmm. So making sure that we're not putting undue pressure on the person that we want to have, we want to have them make change because that with anyone, right? Like when we get a recommendation that we don't agree with, we're not only going to disagree with it, we're going to pose resistance towards that change and potentially um, sort of lock down any any hope in the future. So, you know, sometimes it's literally just a 30 minute consultation that I have with a family member. And then I don't touch base with them. They don't co contact me for another six months. Mm -hmm. um, but it allows the family to sort of take some small steps with mom or dad, have those discussions. And then when they're ready for change, I'll be there to help them. So what are some of the signs that we should be looking for that maybe it's time to initiate this conversation with you? Like when you were talking about strength at the beginning and the inability to go from sitting to standing yeah. uh, without using your arms, the other thing that came to my mind was using walls or counters as they're walking Mm -hmm. And you can see that they are kind of reaching for the next thing to study themselves along the path. Are there any other clues or things that people can be looking for? Yeah. So again, I think ideally it's before any of those things happen. It's okay. it's an older adult who has sat down with their partner, sat down with their family, and they said, you know what, in 10, 15 years, 
I would like to still be here. I don't have any inclination to do senior living or go to a 55 plus community. This is the home that I want to live and die in. I think those are kind of those initial people that I would love to have a hand in at that point because we can put them on strength and conditioning programs. We can assess them from just an overall wellness perspective and, and again, continue on their wellness path um, and then talk about, you know, sort of how to modify the home to make all those things happen. Now, that's very rare that someone wants to have a conversation at that point. So uh, to your point, yeah, when you start to see some potential changes with mom or dad, whether it's in generally cognition is comes first, right? There's um, some repeated stories. Uh, there's, um, you know, maybe some trouble finding words. You know, I think really understanding mom and dad's cognitive capacity and where they are and be able to track that over time is very important. And again, physicians, primary physicians are supposed to do a cognitive assessment annually at 65 Medicare pays for that. Um, mm. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen as much as I would like. But there's a lot of free kind of memory screens out there online that someone can look at. So that would be something that I would look at. The other thing would just like you said, starting to push up from a chair, using walls to sort of guide them through, maybe not engaging in the community as well. And like, that's one of the biggest things that I can help people with is we know the value of community. We know the value of uh, wellness from a social perspective. And if mom or dad is very social and you start to see them withdraw a little bit to the things that they love and enjoy, you know, that would should bring a big red flag that maybe something's going on. Um, so those would be some initial things, but then any changes um, within uh, sort of medically speaking. So, you know, a change in medication, maybe a new illness that's become more chronic, you know, maybe a decline, maybe they got COVID and they have some long COVID symptoms that just don't seem to resolve. Those would be some uh, ideals to sort of get in with the physical therapy before truly the risk is in front of you and we're, you know, obviously before there's injury. And do people need a doctor's order to engage with you or are, how are they like getting a hold of you or how do they start the conversation? Yeah. So great question. So that varies. Um, so if I am, every state is a little bit different, what we call direct access for physical therapy. So um, more and more states have direct access um, meaning that you don't need a uh, physician's order to initiate a physical therapy evaluation. In a lot of cases, if you're going through insurance, so if there's a skilled need and mom or dad wants to use their Medicare uh, benefits, then insurance is going to force you to go through um, sort of that physician order and have them sign off on the plan of care. What I provide is more prevention and wellness. So I'm outside of the Medicare space. Um, so if I, if I assess mom or dad and they had a skilled need, I would refer them to a provider um, to bill Medicare because mom or dad deserves to be able to use their benefits. If you're outside the state of North Carolina and Maryland, that's currently where I'm licensed for physical therapy. But what I can do um, if I'm speaking in general terms, and this is what I provide for a lot of people, um, I can use some of my health coaching certification to provide some general recommendations for falls assessments. Um, but if I needed to go in and provide an actual assessment, um, I would need a license in that state. Okay. So there are things that you can do virtually. Yes. 
for yeah. people. So I could have the same conversation um, related to the different fall risk factors um, that you know mom and dad could present and give the family a plan to sort of go to those different providers. As an example, one of the main risk factors for falls is low vision. Um, and some visual stuff. So just going through, and a lot of people don't remember, oh, well, mom has glasses or she's had cataracts and they sort of let it go. Uh, but that should be something that's done annually uh, to make sure that, you know, that is not something that we could potentially fix because um, that can contribute very well to, uh, to falls. So I'm thinking about how to help because it's mostly caregivers listening to this. Mm -hmm. as opposed to the the older person, the senior, how do we bridge the gap in this conversation? Um, so for me, when I'm talking about senior living, something that I kind of a cut to the chase conversationalist, I try to do all of the um, rapport building. Of course, that is our first goal and creating empathy. And sometimes it really just comes down to we're just getting to the point we need more help here. Like I, we need more professional input because I can't for, foresee what's coming. And mm -hmm. so I'm inviting Michelle in to help us have this conversation. Would it be something similar with, with you, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. So there are people that call you. <laughs> yeah. So again, just the same thing, right? It's like people, you know, what they need access to is education and they need access right. to resources and they need to be able to ask the right questions. So um, you brought up kind of senior living as an example, right? So, I mean, I have been in senior living for over 20 years. So I worked in skilled nursing facilities, assisted livings, retirement communities, independent livings, and provided outpatient services. I know the critical questions to ask for mom or dad to choose one assisted living over another. There's a, mm -hmm. There are questions that you should ask on your tour um, beyond what you see um, mm -hmm. that are going to be the most important, right? So like as an example is what happens if mom falls? What how do, mm -hmm. how do we look at that? How do we treat that? Are we bringing services in? Is she automatically hospitalized? And again, if mom or dad has a cognitive issue, the change in setting is going to be devastating. It's already an increased fall risk when you take mom or dad from home and you place them in a different setting those first couple of weeks in particular. But if there is going to be a complete shuffling of, you know, there's a fall, yes, they're automatically sent out. If there's an x-ray needed, they're automatically sent out. Um, and then and the other questions especially is what if there's a medication change? You know, mm. what's that process look like? How involved is the family in those changes? What are the non-pharmacological uh, approaches before we look at different medications for behaviors, as an example. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of questions that, you know, during the assisted living tour, you're, they're not, they're not bringing up, you know, and it, again, as an example, programming, right? Like how engaged is my mom or dad going to be here? What kind of activities do you guys offer? What's the participation right. like? You know, there's so many important things that, again, look good on the surface. They look good on the brochure. Um, but they're very helpful for families to ask. So they, they're they aware of what those choices are going to be. What and, and those are the critical moments. The call at midnight, the call at two in the morning because mom fell. Mm -hmm. It's very important to know what they're going to do. And a lot of people just trust that, it's, you know, all these wonderful things are going to happen. Um, you know, and another thing would be staffing ratios, right? We know healthcare is really struggling with staffing right now. And there's um, even the staff that are present. They're not as engaged as they once were, you know, so 
Are they, do they have training in the areas that mom or dad needs help in? You know, so just again, different questions you can sort of load up the family with so they make the best choice for themselves. That's so great. How do you, how do you like people to introduce you to their family member for their assessment, for their fall assessment? That's a good question. Um, I mean, really, I generally people say this is just someone that wants to help. Yeah, you know, this is someone who's and, and he's not going to come in and tell you what to do. He's going to come in and he's going to work with you. He's going to identify what your goals are. He's going to make recommendations. Yes, but he's only going to look at the recommendations that you think are good for you and in the timeline that you feel are good for you. So I think that takes a lot of pressure off the initial consultation, especially, is if they know I'm not going to come in there and, again, just give them a list of 10 things, right? I mean, that's what most people are nervous about. Most people want to stay at home and they don't want people looking at them because they don't want someone to identify that they shouldn't be there um, mm -hmm. and that they should, you know, they're not safe and they need to get out of their home. And, you know, so I think most people are afraid of that. And I think if you can ease that fear, um, you know, then we can work together to, to, to help them age in place. And to support, just to further support that, what happens is, is if you do not have Michael in to do the assessment, the fall risk increases, which thus increases the likelihood of needing to move to assisted living potentially or nursing home care, because maybe right. it's something that we could have avoided if we had started with you in the first place. And right. So again, the biggest risk factor, which isn't going to blow anyone's minds, is that um, you are twice as likely to fall if you've already fallen. Oh. So that's why it's important to get in before the first fall occurs. The other huge um, the other huge uh, fall fact that scares a lot of people is if you have four risk factors, you're 78 percent have a high risk of falling again. So again, let's think about our risk factors. We have strength impairments, balance impairments, gait impairments. We have medic polypharmacy and different classes of medications. We have home hazards that can be addressed. Orthostatic hypertension is a big one that people miss. Low vision, um, assessing feet and footwear. Again, if you have a PT that does an assessment of you, they don't take your shoes off. They're missing something right there. Mm -hmm. um, vitamin D assessment, um, depression, cognition. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there again, but I said a lot of things that can be addressed. It's a, lo a lot of things that can be mitigated. And, and again, we're, what we're hoping to do, we might not be able to prevent every fall, but what we can try to prevent is the injury. And that is what people need to be afraid of the injury, the injury resulting in a traumatic brain injury, the injury resulting in a hip fracture. Um, you know, that is what we're trying to help people prevent. And again, people, from a caregiver perspective, especially if it's a they're taking care of their spouse, there's there's a huge opportunity there, right? Because the caregiver is not only fearful for their loved one, they're fearful of what's going to happen to them when they're if something does happen to their right. loved one, you know. And I think with my mom, especially again, advanced COPD, primary caregiver to my dad who's got dementia, my dad's going to live a long time. He is. He's healthy otherwise, unless he falls. That's his big risk is having a fall and having a fracture. But my mom is the one that's having exacerbations because she is taking all the stress of being his primary caregiver and dealing with her own advanced COPD. She's the one that's having 
those exacerbations multiple times over the last couple of years. So getting caregivers to understand not only the importance of getting this done for their loved one, but how that's going to help de-stress and, and, and help their own health um, as the caregiver and providing all the love that they do. I think that's beautiful. Is there anything that I'm missing that I should have asked about? No, I mean, the biggest thing is, if, again, if people want to go find one resource um, on the CDC website, if you just Google Steady Toolkit, S-T-E-A-D-I Toolkit, um, there are plenty of resources available on there for both families, patients, as well as providers. So if you just take some time to kind of peruse all of that, um, you, there's checklists that you can pull off. These are questions you can ask your primary physician. There are questions you can ask your pharmacist. There's questions that you can ask, you know, having a PT come in and address. Um, again, education is power. Advocacy is power. So um, just wanted to provide people with enough information that they feel like they can take one step forward. Um, and I think that toolkit can definitely help them. That's great. I will put the link to that in the show notes. And then I will also put a link in the show notes. Do you have a website or a Facebook page or how do people find you? Yeah. So my website is very simple. It's michaelmcgregorpt.com. Um, and again, if you want to just ask me a question, if you are looking for a resource, I'm happy to answer that. There's a way to contact me on that web page. Um, I do have a Facebook page, again, Stay Steady on there. So if you want to find that on Facebook, um, but I can also just, again, share resources with you. The one other uh, resource that I did want to share with everyone is that in the Steady Toolkit, there is a questionnaire. It's called Stay Independent, and it's meant to be completed by the patient or the client. So you, you just go through that questionnaire on your own, and if you score four or higher, the recommendation is that you just take the next step and you talk to your primary physician about, is there something that I can do? So that's a simple, you don't need a provider coming in. You don't need to be nervous. Just kind of complete it on your own and kind of see where, um, you know, see where the need is if there's one there. I think that's great. I'm 51 and I actually go to a physician clinic that is designed for seniors. And it's really with the premise of, I want to age well, and I want to be on the front end mm -hmm. and preventive as often and as much as possible. So I just to invite everybody that aging is okay. There are resources in place. I asked my doctor straight up, like, how am I doing? on this aging journey and what do I need to be paying attention to? And she definitely mentioned strength training and yeah. um, depression, making sure that my stress levels were being managed and I am not, I don't have depression, thank goodness. Um, but it's just something to be aware of as people are aging that that is a significant factor. Um, Point being, it's okay to talk to our doctors about getting older in a pro preventive, proactive way. At every absolutely, age, and that brings me. Age. I um, I read an article today. I think it was in you know one of the online uh, you know main sites or whatever, and it's talked about pickleball. And pickleball is 
um, you know, expanding. You see all the all the articles about everyone's love for pickleball, and I've definitely taken on some of the love. Um, I'm 48, and I, I think it's a great sport. Now, obviously, there's some physical stuff that happens, but what I read was there's a huge mental health benefit um, that people that do pickleball do have less self-reported depression. So, um, you know, the, again, the embrace embrace being older. You know, there's a lot that we can do, and uh, what it was old yesterday is is no longer old today and tomorrow. So um, live well, it doesn't matter how long you live, right? In a lot of cases, it's how well you live during those years. And, um, you know, there's a small things that we can do to, to make life better. That's great. Well, thank you, Michael, so much for being here. Very grateful. Thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed it. What I know for sure is that things are going fine until they're not. Everyone wants to stay in their home for as long as possible. And then there's a fall or a hospital stay or clear signs of dementia or a diagnosis and remaining at home becomes questionable or potentially impossible. It is super important that you are informed about what assisted living and nursing home care can offer and understand how to choose the one that will best fit the needs of your family. I know from personal and professional experience what objections are going to come up and how to navigate those conversations. You love your family member and you are doing a great job. It just feels like the situation is fragile. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop and you don't know what you don't know. Illuminating Senior Living answers all of your questions and walks you through step by step each common objection and frequently asked question. This course will save you so much time and heartache. Imagine knowing exactly when it's time to move and ensuring the care and safety of your family member. Imagine knowing what specifically to be looking for in a care community and how to have the conversations about moving. Illuminating Senior Living gives you the roadmap so you're prepared. Click the link in the show notes, Illuminating Senior Living, to secure your video course today.